It's February 7th, 2018, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marsh Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we're going to hear about the Girls Go Cyber Start program at Sacred Hearts from Debbie Kula. And then we'll talk about the resurgence of breadfruit or ulu, a natural food source in Hawaii, with Diane Rigoni and... Heidi Bornhorse. But again, first up, let's welcome Debbie Kula from Sacred Hearts High School here to tell us about the upcoming Girls Go Cyber Start program. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. I need to first let you know that uh, Girls Go Cyber Start is not just a Sacred Hearts Academy program. We're trying to reach out to girls all over the state, high school girls. Now, you sent out a press release, and I'm assuming that the uh, what, are you marketing central for this program? I mean, is it emanating from your communication team or, uh, you know, is it sort of a, a coordinated effort across other schools? It's it's definitely a coordinated effort, but from the state perspective. So uh, the governor's press release announced the cooperation with SANS Institute, who mm-hmm, really came mm-hmm. up with the idea. And... Uh, I'm one of the voices that's helping to get mm-hmm. the word out. Great. And where does this this uh, Girls Go Cyber Start fit into the cybersecurity? You know, there's, there's all this, the ecosystem of all the programs that students can get involved in. So in today's world, we know how important cybersecurity is. We're learning not to keep our passwords on a Post-it note on the keyboard. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but... It's an important field also and an exciting field for uh, students to pursue and to become professionals and help all of us take better care of our own personal data, take better care of what's going on with our computers, and keep the bad guys away from things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But traditionally, women are very underrepresented in the industry. And so this particular exciting event is designed to help high school girls Mm. see if maybe they just might be interested in pursuing a career in cybersecurity. So what does the the structure of a Girls Go Cyber Start event look like? When we talk about Cyber Patriot or other programs, there's it's a contest or it's capture the flag. Um, What does participation look like to a student? So this is going to be an online, really feel like a game. It's going to run from February 20th through the 25th. It's round the clock, so it's going to be essentially a 24-6, those are six days, uh, event. Students can log in, play a bit, log out, do some homework, log back in a little bit later, Hmm. whatever works best for them time-wise. They can get together a team of up to four, or if they're feeling really confident, they can challenge themselves as an individual. Mm -hmm. Uh, SANS is really putting a whole lot of uh, support behind this. There are some awesome prizes. Nice. Um, the, The top teams will win a trip for the the students and a parent to the Women in Cybersecurity Conference in Chicago in March. Hmm. Uh, but there's also other tech prizes and um, just a an exciting opportunity to try their hand at things. Absolutely. Is this something that an individual student would do or it's coordinated at least, if even if there's just one student, it would be representing a school? 
Nope, they'd be working as individuals, oh, okay. but they need to be associated with a school okay. or homeschooled. So there's a level of verification that they are high school students. Now, Debbie, I know that uh, you are a uh, a force to deal with over at Sacred Hearts because you know you also uh, house the uh, Cyber Patriot awards ceremony, right? So I know you're very much involved with the whole cybersecurity for, for students. Are there other schools like like yours that are really at the forefront of getting not only, you know, girls, but, you know, students involved with cybersecurity? What, what are some of the other schools that are really kind of your partners, your peers? The There's a, a whole slew of uh, public and private schools that are involved in the cybersecurity challenge area. Uh, Cyber Patriot teams, Leila Hua's got an mm-hmm. excellent uh, reputation and um, and have actually competed at the national mm-hmm. level. Uh, Iolani, Mililani, um, Highlands Middle School has mm-hmm. uh, several teams this year. We have schools in... Uh, Lahaina that have participated. Um, it trying like to a, yeah. think of others. Big Island, just about all the islands. Kauai High School. Excellent. Right. So what would be, if you were affiliated with a school, if you were a teacher in either computer science or interested in this area, um, how would you get involved? Because certainly a team would be more fun than being an individual, perhaps, for a school. How does right. that process work? So teachers really just need to let the students know that this is an opportunity for them. Uh, the girls can form a team of friends that want to deal with this. They do all need to be from the same school, mm-hmm. however. Mm-hmm. And uh, they need a school advisor. The advisor really just needs to verify that they are students at the school. The rest of it can all start with the students themselves. They log in. Um, There might be some time where um, we are planning to have um, a kind of a cyberthon week where we invite the the participants to come to a room, bring their teammates, and and just kind of play. We'll have food provided because somehow food and cyber go together really, really food well. Food and people really go together <laughs> really, really well. So when does this program start? How much time do they have to get something together? Registration ends on February 16th. Which so, is not too far which away. Which is not too far away. So we really want to make sure we get the word out and we appreciate you helping us with that. Absolutely. The competition runs February 20th through 25th. Mm-hmm. So those are school days. The The kids are going to still have to do homework. They're still <laughs> going to be in classes. But there's something a little extra to do uh, to entice them on the and side. And do they need any, um, let's say, knowledge or experience to, to, to participate? No experience is necessary going in. They need access to a computer with a good Internet uh, service and and that's really it. The initial levels of the competition are designed as learning opportunities also. So even going in with no experience at all, girls will have a chance to progress and and really kind of see if having logical problem-solving skills is something that they enjoy doing. Sounds like a lot of fun. Where can people go to actually sign up and register before the 16th? If they go to www.girlsgocyberstart.com. Hmm, fantastic. Very good. We'll put that up on our show notes. 
And thanks, Debbie, for joining us. Thank you for having me. And, of course, we'll take a short break. And when we return, we'll find out what is driving the renewed interest in breadfruit with Diane Rigoni and Heidi Bornhorse. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. For me, it gives me a feeling of, I guess, belonging. I belong to a community, the HPR community now. The membership benefits, the gifts, of course, are nice and very well appreciated, but for me, it's just a sense of belonging and maybe even a sense of ownership that I'm part of this community and part of this movement. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us are Diane Ragoni and Heidi Bornhorst. Of course, Diane is the director of the Breadfruit Institute over at the National Tropical Botanical Gardens and is an authority on the conservation and use of breadfruit. Meanwhile, Heidi Bornhorst is a horticulturalist, columnist and star advertiser and author of Growing Native Hawaiian Plants. And uh, what would it take to popularize breadfruit? We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe. Mahalo. Hey, Diane, are you there? Thank you. Hey, so Diane, let's start with you. And, uh, you know, we've, uh, we love having you on. And, you know, this is perhaps the first time we get to talk about what is, the, what exactly is this Breadfruit Institute? Well, thank you, Bert. It's a pleasure to be calling into your show today. I wish I could be there in person. The Breadfruit Institute is a program at the National Tropical Botanical Garden headquartered on Kauai. And it was created in 2003 to promote the conservation, study, and use of breadfruit for food and reforestation. And the Institute was created to really build upon the garden's extensive breadfruit collection. It's the largest, most diverse collection in the world with 150 varieties conserved, many of them which are now rare and extinct in their home islands and also to utilize that, col- that collection in addition to the conservation to really maximize awareness about breadfruit, but really do what we can to share breadfruit and knowledge to get people not only in Hawaii but around the world growing and planting and using more breadfruit. Well, so Diane, we're a conservation yeah. research and education program. That's fantastic. And, you know, as Bert mentioned, we like to, to learn more about uh, everything you're up to over at the Natural, National Tropical Botanical Garden. Um, we're going to talk to Heidi about the cultural side, but maybe you can help uh, lay the groundwork for the science side. When you're talking about breadfruit as an attractive food source, maybe you can help us put it in context of perhaps other sources of nutrition, of carbohydrates. You know, um, what is the reason why we should be paying attention to breadfruit in terms of the resources it requires and the benefits? Benefits that it can provide. Okay, well, that's a that's a wonderful question, and our research for the past almost two decades has been focused on those questions, looking at uh, the varieties, which are which ones are the most nutritious. So, breadfruit, a complex carbohydrate, very high in in fiber, in in minerals such as potassium and calcium. 
Some varieties are um, very high in iron, which is an especially important micronutrient, as well as a pro-vitamin A carotenoids. Mm. And the benefits of breadfruit, if you think about it as, as a potato in the sense that it's a starchy, staple crop, but all the global crops that we rely on, corn, wheat, rice, potatoes, sweet potatoes, and, and many others, those are all annual field crops with all the labor involved in producing them as well as the, the way agriculture is so destructive to the land. And so breadfruit is a long-lived tree that produces for decades with pretty minimal input compared to other starchy staples. Now, Diane, you have 150 varieties. Is there any uh, particular one that is best suited for Hawaii? And, you know, I, I'm not an expert at uh, identifying breadfruit, but when I see breadfruit, I mean, am I seeing Am I seeing a particular variety that's, you know, common, common around, uh, around uh, Honolulu? Well, there's a, it's a Hawaiian variety of breadfruit that was brought in by early settlers. It's been here for close to a thousand years, but and there are other varieties that have been brought into the islands over the past century or two from people from Samoa and Tonga and the Caroline Islands. So, pretty much any variety, any of those 150 varieties, could grow. In, in the Hawaiian Islands. Mm. The one thing that we don't have, and it, and it doesn't really exist, is, is a breadfruit variety that would grow at high elevations in cooler climates. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's really the diversity allows you to have a mixture of production time. And I know you spoke with Dr. Lincoln at the university who's doing this phenology study to document when the trees might be, bear fruit in different places. So I think the diversity of breadfruit really allows you to pick different varieties for your particular taste and interest and uses for it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, Heidi, now we hear about uh, varieties that can grow in Hawaii, some that come from other areas of the Pacific. Um, Ulu, I imagine or I understand, does have roots in Hawaiian culture, but it certainly doesn't have enjoy the popularity that you know taro, taro does, yeah. for example. Um, can you help us put that in a in a bigger picture, like where Ulu fits for Hawaiians? Well, Ulu grows well here. Traditionally, it's been a great food crop. Super nutritious, especially for warriors Hmm. Um, and for everybody. As Diane mentioned, those vitamins in it benefit everyone, and we all need resistant fiber Mm -hmm. with all the diabetes we have in Hawaii. Eating these traditional diets, and we know it, um, with other Hawaiian crops like kalo, help stave off problems like diabetes. Now, in terms of the variety of ways that you can actually prepare ulu, I've you know I've had it from coming out of the the emu. I've had it uh, uh, you know baked in the oven. But when you know when I was in places like the Marshall Islands, I mean, uh, they taught me how to cook it right on the fire. I mean, putting it in with all the the charcoal and everything, and cooking it that way. And then I also learned that you could have uh, ulu chips, kind of fried in the frying pan. I mean. Those kinds of varieties, you know, we should be exploring more of this or, or experiencing more of this here in Hawaii. Yep. And luckily, you know, that putting it in the fire, we do that. It's called pulehu. 
And the way it smells, mm-hmm. that's how we got the name breadfruit. It smells like baking bread. Ah, I see. So pulehu, and you can do that on the stove. Mm-hmm. And um, one great thing that Diana's taught me, you scrub it, and this is a green mature fruit. Mm-hmm. Clean it, oil your big old knife, quarter it, steam it. Only 20 minutes. And once you have that, like we cool it and stick it in the freezer for that amazing potluck at your guy's house. <laughs> and one of my favorite things to do is make ulu curry. Mm. Oh, that sounds good. And people, you know, in Hawaii, we love curry. And um, a great thing, but it takes so much effort and cooperation. But if there's a ulu cooking contest, um, we love that in Hawaii. The chefs get involved, and um, people have come up with amazing recipes. And if you look at our Breadfruit Institute website, um, often we post recipes of uh, past contest winners. Mm-hmm. That, that sounds absolutely delicious. Well, uh, uh, Diane, um, you mentioned the different varieties that you have, the greatest collection, preserving them and maintaining them. Can you tell us where uh, Hawaii fits Globally, in terms of its appreciation, it sounds to me that there are other places where breadfruit enjoys much higher, more common popularity or use. Well, the Pacific Islands are the home for breadfruit diversity. Hawaii had one, the one variety traditionally. So mm. I'd say places like Ponape, Koshrai, in Micronesia, Tahiti, French Polynesia, and the Caribbean is a real center for breadfruit diversity, but mm. only in the past 200 years because of the they embraced the varieties of breadfruit over the decades after Captain Bly introduced them. But we're seeing a real reawakening and interest here in Hawaii in, in one local, our local food is growing more food because we're, it's so shocking how much food that we import at a state and how vulnerable that we are. And that if we produce just 10% more food locally, I think the state, we save $300 million saved in our economy. So there's that economic interest in growing more breadfruit, but there's also, um, you know, looking at, what are more diverse ways to do it? And part of the part of the project that we've done to promote breadfruit is um, we've distributed trees. We, hmm. working with a, a researcher at the University of British Columbia in Canada and a horticultural com- company, pioneered a new method for propagating breadfruit that allowed it to be propagated using micropropagation, which is how so many ornamental plants are propagated. Hmm. And through that, we've really changed the whole present and future for breadfruit as a crop because it's now possible to produce thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of of uniform disease-free breadfruit plants. And so the Institute, since 2009, has been distributing through collaborations around the world. We've distributed over 100,000 trees to 45 countries. And then Hawaii, and Heidi was very involved with this through our Plant of Tree of Life project, we distributed more than 10,000 trees. So in the past five years, we've seen the greatest planting of breadfruit trees in the Hawaiian Islands. Well, the, in the Diane, yeah. of the archipelago. So now I, we have all these trees bear, starting to bear fruit, 
and people are getting excited about what can they do with that fruit and how can they eat it at home and how can they make businesses out of it. Well, you know, Diane, I, I, uh, I do want to ask uh, Heidi about how she has sort of crafted a more of an adoption of, of breadfruit. And so we want to do that. We want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with both Diane Ragoni and Heidi Bornhorst. And we're talking about growing and caring for breadfruit. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, Moyer Financial, and Kaiser Permanente. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And if you're just joining us, we're talking to Diane Ragoni and Heidi Bornhorst about reestablishing breadfruit as a staple in Hawaii. And of course, uh, right before the break, uh, we were talking a little bit about the sort of the program, Heidi, that you were very much uh, involved in, very instrumental. And, you know, I've been involved with you doing all kinds of, you know, native plant classes and workshops and giving them away. But with breadfruit, I mean, you needed to really get people connected because they had to grow this into a tree. Yes. Every tree was so valuable to us. As Diane explained, it's a little tissue culture, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a little plug. And so it's like a baby. It's so vulnerable. And then you, and it takes a lot of horticulture, and each tree is worth a lot. Um, so I've participated in other tree giveaways where it's free, and it's like a feeding frenzy. Mm-hmm. But often those trees never get planted. So working with Diane, and she's so akamai, we made it more like you're adopting a keiki or a puppy. You can have it for free, but you have to fill out a form. You have to agree to plant it. And it's really important how to plant it, and the whole family agrees, because we don't want one person to plant it and the other chop it to park (laughs) their car. Um, So we made simple handouts Mm -hmm. in Hawaiian and other languages. And the basic horticulture, pick where, clear the grass away, Trees do not like grass around them, Mm -hmm. and water it every day and make sure it has good drainage. And like a kid, like a puppy or a kitten, um, it needs daily care when it's young. And then, as Diane mentioned, if you've given it that good start, it is one of your easiest crops. And I love Kalo, but Ulu is a lazy person's tree hmm. after the first three to five years. Now, now, Diane, you know, you're coming up with a workshop, and I think the workshop actually gets started uh, next week. I mean, tell us a little bit about this workshop. All right. We, well, we've, we've launched uh, a major new initiative for, for the Institute, working in collaboration with Craig Elovich and Agroforester based on the Big Island and Heidi and others. And we've put an agroforestry demonstration in the McBride Garden on Kauai, and it's to educate people about not just growing a breadfruit tree, but growing breadfruit as part of an integrated living dynamic system that changes over space and changes over time. Because we're at a critical junction in Hawaii about what we're going to do with all of this empty, now empty agricultural land, and, and this is a way... 
a forward of planting breadfruit the way it's been it's been planted in the Pacific for centuries. And so the agroforestry workshops are an in-depth, deep dive into breadfruit and breadfruit agroforestry. And I have to give a shout out to our sponsors, is Patagonia Provisions and the State of Hawaii Department of Agriculture. So the workshops are going to be held statewide, and the first two are this Friday and Saturday on Kauai. Then we're going on to Maui on March 3rd, the Big Island March 9th, and then wrapping up on Oahu on March 15th and 16th. So we have a portfolio of uh, core speakers as well as local experts who will talk about the cultural aspects. We're going to have some culinary entrepreneurs talk about how they're making products. So give people an opportunity on each island to, especially producers and people who want to grow and farm breadfruit to learn more about breadfruit and breadfruit agroforestry. So, so Diane, am I, in, am I understanding that the workshop is really geared to uh, potential farmers that will actually grow a, a fairly you know, good forest of breadfruit. I mean, agroforestry is not just one tree. I mean, you're talking, you know, 50, 100 trees maybe. Well, agroforestry could be it could be just a few breadfruit trees. It doesn't have to be, you know, a lot of trees. But if you think back to the plantation camps in Hawaii, almost every yard and every small plot was a little miniature agroforest because mm. they had all kinds of plants at all kinds of elevated heights that they were growing. So it is really geared more for producers, but a, whether you're a quarter acre to a hundred acres, um, and and interested, you know, agricultural um, extension agents, mm-hmm. chefs and entrepreneurs, and other people who really want to learn more about breadfruit and what breadfruit agroforestry is and its potential here in Hawaii. It sounds like a great program. Now, uh, Heidi, you talked about it's like adopting a kiki. Now I feel a little bit of pressure. I'm like, oh, I want to plant one of these plants, but it might take a little more care and feeding than than uh, than certainly a plant that just grows on its own and you have to stop it from. Well, growing that's called right? a weed. That would be a <laughs> weed. Um, so uh, if if like my son, in fact, had a little garden in our backyard, he grew the biggest squash I'd ever seen. I mean, uh, what's the first step into breadfruit growing for someone right now? Well, get the kiki plant. Figure out where in your yard or your farm, or your school, hmm, Yes, you want to grow it. And schools are great at this. And keiki love it. You know, modern keiki did not get to dig in the soil mm-hmm. like we did. Right, right. Um, so where to do it. And then we have all these handouts and information about how to do it, and it's not that hard. Mm. And once it grows several years, um, like some people's drawback is, I don't want that huge tree, and I don't want people coming in my yard and wanting it. So um, one of my hats is I am a certified arborist, and to prune it properly and keep it in safe, pickable range. Hmm. But if you have a farm, you get a cherry picker, a high-left truck, and the bigger the better. Nice, Mm -hmm. nice. Now, uh, where would Ryan get his breadfruit tree or kiki? I'll, I'll fill out the forms. 
Okay. Well, that's that's a great that's a great question, and we're often asked this, and I'm sure that your listeners will all go, "Oh, where can I get a tree?" But our our project, Planet Tree of Life, is uh, was a was a four year project. It is over, ah. and so we are are not doing those tree distributions anymore. But many of the local nurseries throughout the state do carry breadfruit trees. Uh, Diane, and Diane, real so, quick, and Diane, there are so we're... many trees out there now that. You're taking the little baby breadfruit that will grow from a mother tree. All Another right. option is, like we did, is as a hui, is buy breadfruit trees and then have them and grow in, as a fundraiser or okay. as a way to distribute well, them as well. That's we'll check great. it out. Thanks, yeah. Diane. Well, Diana Regoni is the director over at the Breadfruit Institute, and Heidi Bornhorst is a horticulturalist and native plant expert. We want to thank you both for joining us today. Mahalo. It's been great with you guys, and um, always a learning. Thank you, Diane. And, of course, we'll put all the information on our show notes. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week where we're going to learn about the pineapple crate. And if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. If you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong, and you catch us here every Wednesday on HPR One. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Bite Marks Cafe.